There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Suppose you tell me about it from the beginning. I'm from Boston. I'm trying to find my pony. I believe he's here in San Francisco with a man by the name of Friday. King Friday. I don't know where they met. We've never been as close as man and pony ought to be. If we had, Bumpy would have told me he was running away with him. Our parents are in Honolulu. I I must find them before they return. They'll be back on the first. Pony? I don't take pony cases. I had a letter from him a few weeks ago. It said nothing except that he was all right. I sent a telegram begging him to come home. I sent it to a general delivery address, the one he gave. I waited a week and, and no answer came, so I decided to come out here myself. I wrote him that I was coming. Oh, I shouldn't have, should I? It's not always easy to know what to do. Mike... Mike, no one sends telegrams. There's no such thing as general delivery, and ponies can't write! This is ridiculous! No one's gonna buy this! Maybe they won't, but they'll buy Max Mike movies! Ha ha ha! Oh, we like to have our little jests, don't we? Trust me, we, we are do. capricious, aren't we? Oh, yes. Oh, what a caprice, a naughty caprice. This <laughs> week, as part of our series Monochrome, a look at black and white movies, we take a deep look at a supposed classic 1944's The Maltese Falcon. Or is it The Maltese Falcon? Take your pick. This is one of those films that seems to live in the consciousness of movie lovers and popular culture, but why? And does it hold up after all this time? Those are just some of the questions we'll try and answer in this episode. And by we, I mean that guy over there hugging his little gold statuette, the master I, of shadows, I, Max Noir Levine. Say something detective Max. No, you cannot have my precious. That's not detective at all. But I am the sidekick in the alley, he who was born to be murdered, Mike Victim Loose. Before we answer those questions about that movie, we'll have you answer this week's poll question. Question. Last week's question was, what movie's costumes were so compelling they were basically characters on their own? We got lots and lots of great answers, and here be they. Chrissy Becker was up first with, quote, Sleepy Hollow, A Knight's Tale, Anna Karenina, 2012, Moulin Rouge, Cinderella, 2015. I'm sure there are a million more I can't think of right now, end quote. That's a lot. Thanks, Chrissy. Javi Carl, who some people call Benjamin, gave us, quote, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was definitely critical, uh. end quote. Indeed, they were. Heck, wardrobe is right in the title. Thanks, Javi. <laughs> Tyler Stewart, longtime listener, first-time caller, said Bram Stoker's Dracula. Indeed, the uh, dear. costumes in that left quite an impression. Thank you, Tyler. Okay, costumes, sure. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, Keanu Reeves was in that. Oh, uh, Daniel Howe was next with, quote, haven't seen it in a long time, but I recall liking the wardrobe in The Cell, end quote. I'm in the same boat. Tyler Stewart and Haley King poked in to point out that Aiko Ishoioka, sure, was the designer. Aiko Sawakaki. <laughs> oh, Damn. I'm guessing Aiko Ishoioka was the designer for both that and Dracula. Then Daniel also remembered, quote, Immortals, end quote. Oh, yes, Immortals. Hi, I remember Immortals, yeah. <laughs> come, come on back, come on back, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. That's literally the only thing worth remembering in that film. Kelly Cooper exulted, quote, Flash Gordon's alive, end quote. 
He is indeed icy or hot. That's a deeper. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Adam Mark simply stated, Titanic. It was all about the hats. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, yeah can see that. Dave. Dave. Had many observances, some of which I can pronounce. Quote, ha ha, too many to count. I love the costuming most of Gosha Hideo's later films. Kurosawa does amazing clothing in his later color works as well. I love the blue suit in Tokyo Drifter, which is a film by Seijun Suzuki that is easy to locate. As I recall, the outfits in Samurai Spy are fabulous. It might only be the ninja outfit that is cool in that one. It's a Criterion film, so it's also easy to find. Oh, and Samurai Spy. Oh, yeah, and Gates of Hell. End quote. <laughs> That's a whole lot of clothes. Thanks, wow. Dave. Charles Forsyth's choice was The Fifth Element. Indeed. Oh, sure. That was some wild stuff. Thanks, that Charles. Was weird, I'm, wild stuff. Weird and wild stuff. <laughs> <laughs> weird and I do it. Absolutely horrible, yeah. Johnny Carson. Tony L.P. Kellner posted, quote, My Fair Lady and the Devil Wears Prada, and though there are so many other problems, Cruella, end quote. I mean, Prada was all about the costumes, so. Yep. Thanks, Tony. Haley King scoots back in with, quote, Crimson Peak. There is so much storytelling in those uh, costumes, yeah. and they are masterpieces of technical craft. Great blend of historical inspiration with the fantastical. And, you know, as much as they are absolutely horrible movies... The costumes in the Star Wars prequels are phenomenal, end quote. I certainly agree huh. with those last points. <laughs> Interesting. I hadn't thought of it. They are, actually. They really it, are astounding. It's so just overshadowed by everything else bad. The dullness, yes. Careful. Yes, the the dull. dullness rubs off. <laughs> Thanks, Haley. Regan McStravick, not totally my cousin, writes, quote, Ever after, if only because the one oh. scene where Drew Barrymore makes her entrance at the ball is one of the most breathtakingly beautiful shots in cinematic history, end quote. I sneezed in my cocaine. <laughs> so quick, somebody get a jar, poke some holes in the lid. And a stick in it. Well observed. <laughs> Thanks, Regan. <laughs> I knew we were going to have trouble with that. Pete Kreitchik gives us a second vote for Fifth Element. Thanks, Stinky. Uh. Brian Mundo, not to be left out, said, The Fifth Element. My go-to for most questions. In this case, thermal bandages for the win, end quote. <laughs> you can't argue with thermal bandages. Thank you. You cannot. Brian. Not when they are on Mila Jovovovovich. Hova, 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 Lastly, over to the website, Snowy Vince posted, quote, The costumes in The Road Warrior really helped make the movie for me. Those outfits really were like another character and gave the world a look I don't remember seeing before as most post-apocalyptic films were mostly barbarians against intellectuals of or some version of that. The post-apocalyptic punk look really worked, end quote. And if you make me say post-apocalypse, see, I knew at least <laughs> once I was going to screw it up. Polka-apocalypse, yep. Yeah. You know, I think those costumes actually defined a whole trend in and yeah, out of movies. It really did. Especially in Harvard Square. Uh, thank you, Vince. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Max? You were all into the costumes, as I remember. Yeah. What's your pick? Uh, I, I, first off, i got to go... I have two. got to go with Vince on Road Warrior, mm. because that really... Define every post-apocalyptic movie went for feathers and leathers. That's just <laughs> how it was, it, and, and it's still going on. Uh, yeah, leathers, pieces of animal, and random pieces of sports equipment. Well, you know, because after it. the bomb, all there's going to be left is chaps. Chapsless <laughs> <Assless> chaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will wander the wasteland in our assless chaps. Oh, Fez, you and big that, monkey. And, and oddly enough, even though I'm, you know, Movies themselves are questionable. The Matrix movies. Oh, 
the uh, the outfits in there. I don't know how good they are, but they are distinctive, and again, they really did define a look for a good 10, 20 years. Oh, I thought you were going to say they really boosted the stock of uh, Hot Topic, but... <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about you? Who's, uh, what what uh, costume drama leaps to mind? Excalibur. That oh. armor just was like, wow, I have never seen armor like that like in throughout the movie. And of course, as been pointed out by historical accurate people or whatever, uh, <laughs> yeah. you would not just go wandering around wearing your full plate all the time. Not to mention if it's the Arthurian legend, which is around 10th century, that kind of armor didn't exist. No. And wouldn't for three or 400 years. But it's fantastic. Oh, it looks amazing. And it turns out it was all made by this one guy named Terry. He's a British guy who went on to do armor and swords and stuff for many other things. And it was actually made, I think, out of polished aluminum, which is one of the reasons that the oh. actors could stand to wear it. Wore <laughs> it and didn't fall over all the time. Though historically inaccurate, it just stands out like crazy in that oh, movie. Interesting. Okay. But I think a lot of our other answers, like I Road Warrior for sure. I mean, yeah. that just influ if you're gonna do post apocalypse post that thing, if you're gonna do that <laughs> thing and you're not wearing football pads and leather, it's not post apocalypse. I'm sorry. Just, nope. So. Nope. It's just a bad Monday. Cool. Well, thanks to all who answered, but we have another assignment for you. Yes, we do, if you choose to accept it. And, and by the will. way, we'll we will disavow all knowledge. Somehow we make you do this. I don't know how. Yep. I think we ask. Yep. Who is your favorite movie detective? It could be oh. a live action or even animated choice, but we want to know who solves crime the best for you. Write us and keep Mumpy Bucks afloat in these crypto-troubled times, won't you? Uh, uh, I, I call dibs on Detective Pikachu. Okay, you can have that. And <laughs> oh, I don't no, there's going to be a struggle for that. No. There's going to be a struggle. But for now, we have a brand new segment on our show. We go to oh. trivia. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> the facts. Budget. Just take a guess, because this is 44. Uh, a million dollars. Not even really close. $375,000. That's a type of dollar we have not seen in the show in a long time. The thousand yeah. dollar. Thousand? They, they, they make those? Uh, oh. Not anymore. It's, that's an old yeah. thing. 375000 Take 1.8 million. So, although by today's wow. standards, the amount is small, the percentage is huge. So yeah, I mean, no wonder we saw Maltese Falcon 2, The Falcon's Revenge. We're getting to that. That's still uh -oh. pretty good for a fake bird. Oh, spoiler! <laughs> We're Don't. so naughty. In a very rare instance, the plot of this movie is nearly word for word the plot of the book. In fact, oh. when I read, I went to find out the plot of the book, read it in Wikipedia, and had to keep checking to make sure they were talking about the book. Uh. Yeah. This is the second direct adaptation of Dashiell Hammett's novel. The first, a 1931 pre-Hays Code version, was considered too racy when Warner wanted to re-release it in 1936. So they set about making this version. The original starred, are you ready for this? Huh? Ricardo Cortez, B.B. Daniels, and Dudley Diggs. You know... Dudley Diggs? <laughs> oh, we missed a Dudley Diggs movie? Yes. Oh, that man is a, tr a national treasure. Maybe next time. There were eight Falcon maquettes made for the movie, six of plaster, two of lead. One of the oh, lead ones... Oh. Yeah, one of the lead ones was dropped on Bogart's foot and still bears ah! the dents from this accident. Oh, that God. That one is on display at the Warner Brothers Studio Tour. I've seen it. 
two others. I looked it up, by the way. Yep. That thing weighed almost 50 pounds. It's the lead. That's yeah. like when they're carefully standing it up. I'm betting it's like a second take, and it's like, yeah, we need to be careful it doesn't fall on Bogey's foot again, because, yeah. you know, there's somebody I want to hear him swear, because I bet that man could swear like no other. <laughs> he could take the paint off the walls, I bet. I bet. Two others of those maquettes still exist besides the one at Warner's, and all three are worth at least a million dollars. One million dollars. Wow. To, to save money... Bogart had to wear his own clothes for this role. Likely, so did many of the other actors, Mary Astor oh. not being one of them. Uh, actually, and Sidney Greedon Street not being one of them either. Uh, yeah. To make her seem more nervous and out of breath, director John Huston, best known for his part in the movie Bermuda Triangle, made Mary Astor... <laughs> <laughs> he is not. <laughs> he is. He's made... best known as the voice of Gandalf in the Hobbit cartoon. Sure. He made actor Mary Astor run around the set a few times before each of her scenes... <laughs> I think it's just mean, but it does work. Yeah. You've got to help me. Oh, Mr. Spade, can you, my sister. Okay. The final line of this movie is paraphrased from Shakespeare. It's from The Tempest. The original yeah. line reads, quote, We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep, end quote. Though technically, Ward Bond has the final line with the immortal, Huh? <laughs> Yep, yep. I, I hear AMI has uh, that listed as one of the 100 best lines. In a movie. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but it's his lilt that carries yep. it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is Sidney Greenstreet's first movie role, though he'd been a stage actor for quite a while. Warner Brothers didn't want to confuse audiences by calling this movie the same as their 1931 adaptation. A much better title to them was The Gent from Frisco. Let's that sink in, folks. The gent from Frisco. From Frisco. Luckily, John Houston convinced them otherwise. We see a nod to this in the movie poster in one scene from a fake movie called The Gal from Albany, or The Galbany, (laughs) if you prefer. But it is in the background. (laughs) I I actually wondered about that movie, and they put it in. It's like, yeah, we're not doing that, so here's the joke. Um, And there were apparently a lot of jokes on the set. There is more or less a sequel to this film, and two of this film's stars appeared in it, Peter Lorre and Sidney Greenstreet. It was meant to have many of the same characters, but when author Hammett found out about it, he nixed the idea as he owned the characters, not the studio. Ah. Characters renamed the movie still came out titled Three Strangers in 1946. It was made from a pre-existing script by John Huston. Oh, never heard of it. Speaking of Huston, this was his directorial debut. He was a screenwriter up till then. Of the many films in which he appeared, this is Peter Lorre's favorite. Oh. Oh. And truly lots, lots more, but we got a story to do and a show to tell, or uh, strike that. We got a barn right here and a show to put on. But uh, before we get to the plot, Max, do you have any trivia about this movie that... uh... Uh, Yeah, one thing, there is some vague historical accuracy about the Maltese Falcon in that the Knights of Malta did pay tribute to the king of France, and but and they would send him a live falcon once a year. The whole solid gold covered in jewels, and that's what's <laughs> Solid up. gold goodies? Gold goodies is, is complete fiction. Ah. But it's pre- presented as such fact in the beginning of the film. Yeah, yeah. And wait, and, and wait, wait, and wait. Wait. <laughs> but, it's in the opening crawl. It must be true. You don't have to wait any longer, because here's the plot. Yeah. 
Sam Spade, played by Humphrey Bogart, is half of the private detective firm Spade & Archer. One day, a client, Miss Wonderly, played by Mary Astor, comes in all aflutter because her kid sister has run away with a ne'er-do-well and, sob, sob, could Sam Spade please try and get to the kid sister by way of the dreaded and unseen Floyd Thursby? Could he try and convince her to come to her senses? Liking what he sees, and the $200 paid, Spade takes the case, but it's Archer who swoops in to offer to tail Thursby first. Bad choice. <laughs> While on the job, he's shot and killed, leaving a lot of unanswered questions. Seems Miss Wonderly wasn't exactly telling the truth, and her name wasn't Wonderly either. Obviously lying, she won't quite get to the truth, but that's okay, because suddenly another interested party shows up, Joel Cairo, as played by Peter Lorre. He wants to know where the bird is. What bird, Spade wisely doesn't ask. Still, this all seems to have something to do with Wonderly, or rather O'Shaughnessy, and Spade's dead partner. Seemingly from out of nowhere, yet another party, Mr. Gutman, played by Sidney Greenstreet, sends an invitation for Spade to visit and perhaps trade information about this bird, a bird no one seems to have and only one person seems to know where it might be. And it gets more muddled from there. A lost treasure, this falcon is purported to be solid gold set about with precious stones and all set about with fever trees. Now, set about <laughs> with precious stones and worth an absolute fortune. But where is it? Can anything Bridget O'Shaughnessy says be trusted? Has she fallen in love with Sam Spade? Has he with her? Are the fat man and Cairo working together? Were Cairo and O'Shaughnessy? And what about Scarecrow's brain? Yeah. Stay tuned and find out. <laughs> The film. Max, okay, this you. is dumb. There's no reason to pretend that you did not see this film before we did this show. Oh, several times. Yes. Do you remember the first time you actually watched it? Because this is tough. Oh, boy. I think I saw it at the Harvard Square. Oh, man, that's a great place. The, the only place better possibly it would have been the Brattle. It was, uh, sorry, it was either there or the Orson Welles. I can't remember which. It was a, it was a movie, in, a theater in Harvard Square. Sure. Back when there were theaters in Harvard Square. Yeah, yeah there's still one. Yeah. What and about so this you? would have been probably in the 80s, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, I think so. 70s yeah. or 80s. What about I you? honestly don't know. Yeah. It's one because of those movies, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you think you have. Because you know enough about it. And you've seen clips or something. I think there were clips I saw on an old TV show called Don Adams Screen Test. Do you remember that? I swear that name is familiar, but I have no, I, I can't associate anything with it. It was actually a really neat idea. They would have contestants come on and they would be paired up with a celebrity. Please note I didn't say <laughs> yeah. star. Yeah. And they would reenact a famous scene from a famous movie. And I think this was one of them. I know they did oh, one for okay. Casablanca, okay. which is just mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll be playing the part of Humpy Broke. Oh, never oh come on. <laughs> But I think this was one of them. I think that there was a scene, and I think that that's where I first saw scenes. Okay. I honestly don't know that I sat to watch this film the all the way through until maybe a few years ago. Oh, okay. So, mm. but it's, you know, it's been, a, it's, it's not, for me, it's not quite Casablanca. Casablanca, I think you've seen it even before you were born. Like, yeah. it's. If you're of a certain age, you just, people who have never been to a movie theater or a seen a TV screen have seen Casablanca. It just yeah. happens. Yeah, there's probably like some tribe in the deepest darkest darkest Africa that has seen Casablanca. We usually start with the acting, so why don't we do that? There's a big name in this. It's a pretty it's, big name, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, kind of. How do we feel about Humphrey? Humphrey does. It's a very strange part for him. 
-hmm. He's usually very sort of straightforward, but Sam Spade, which, yes, it's that Sam Spade, the one that everyone, even, people who've never seen any of the movies know Sam Spade. Yeah. Honestly, really kind of sneaky. Yeah. And he's, he's not a very nice person. That's actually one of my first notes was Sam Spade is not a nice man. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's sleeping with his partner's wife. Shh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Which apparently everybody knows. But it's a secret. Well, the cops all know. <laughs> they all know. His secretary knows. Everybody knows. Archer doesn't know. Yeah. But... Scotty doesn't know. Okay, there's a deeper. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's also, he's he's a really good liar. I mean... He lies to everybody. Oh, we're going to get to lying. <laughs> comes up with it on his feet really quickly. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a really interesting character. I think Bogart does him really well. He's just, he's not nice. There's one scene in particular I like in his portrayal. It's when he goes to Gutman's apartment and he loses it. He gets really angry and upset and he storms out of the apartment. And just how he gets out of the door, he, is, he visibly relaxes and starts smiling. He realized it was an act. And yeah. that was actually really well played because yep. we're like, wow, what has gotten to Sam's? Oh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. It's Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to get a bad performance out of it's, If you really. really have to work to get a bad performance out of Bogart, you yeah. can, unless the script is just a mess. Yeah. Apparently, this was his favorite movie to make. They oh. had such a good time in this film. There was a lot of oh. pranking going on, some of it um, <laughs> rather racy. Oh, dear. Uh, but he spent the rest of his career looking for scripts that would feel as fun to make as this one. So he was having a good time. And I got to say, I think since this is Sidney's first film, this must be the first film of the triumvirate, Humphrey Bogart, Peter yeah. Lorre, and Sidney Greenstreet. And the chemistry between those three characters, actors, whatever, is just and apparently, Bogart and Laurie were like tight pals. Uh, One of the main ways you became tight pals with Humphrey Bogart is you, if you could also drink like a fish. Yeah, if you drank <laughs> a lot and smoked a lot, which yep. of course is what would kill Bogart. Yeah. I think he only made it to 44. He didn't, like, I don't think he made it out of the 50s. I know he made uh, African Queen in the no. 50s, but I, it wasn't no, much I mean, longer after he that he died. Yeah. yeah. So, Peter Laurie. Peter Lorre is almost not an actor. He's almost a flavor. <laughs> he pretty much, when, he, when you get Peter Lorre in a movie, he's playing Peter Lorre. Yeah. You don't, not a lot of variation there. And that's Sorry. okay. He was 57 when he died. 57? Okay. <laughs> I, I like him. I actually think he's a lot of fun, this movie. I think they give him a little bit more to do. The one thing I have to ask, though, is he's supposed to be gay? It's hard to tell. He's kind, he's kind of a dandy. I mean, he smells. They they tell tell him he smells like gardenias, apparently. And well, he sent it his business card, which is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty. pretty fresh and fruity. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just because he wore so much cologne, it seeped into the cards. Well, yeah, his handkerchief smells too when yeah. he gets knocked out. And he he's, has the, he has the puffy shirt. The, he the does frilled shirt, very clearly, very concerned. Oh, you know, he, Spade beats him up. Yeah. And his first is, oh, you've ruined my shirt. <laughs> That's what worries him. Not that you may have given me a concussion, but you ruined my shirt. He's a, I think he's a lot of fun. He's a mix of kind of ridiculous, but still dangerous. 
Like, you have this feeling that there's probably a really nasty streak if he ever gets to express it in Joel Cairo. Yeah, but yeah, he's very superficial, the character. Yeah. He's there for set decoration, practically. He's there to be Peter Lorre. Yeah, he is. And as such, he does. Nobody does Peter Lorre better. Speaking of doing Peter Lorre better, Sidney Greenstreet. What? (laughs) (laughs) Let's face it. Sidney Greenstreet has one dial, one notch in his dial. You turn it, you get Sidney Greenstreet, and that's fine. I love the way he... And he's exactly the same in Casablanca. Quite honestly, if you told me that Ferrari's uh, old name was... uh, Gutman. Gutman, I'd have believed it. Because he's supposed to be Italian or something in, in Casablanca with a name like Ferrari. Ferrari, yeah. But yeah. he's wearing a fez, so who knows? Trying to blend. But there's always this little, I'm trying to get away with things and my face stays totally straight until you call me out. And then he just breaks into this little <laughs> laugh. And I don't know, I, I'm Gutman delighted ha- by Sidney Greenstreet. Gutman has more of a sense of humor, I think. And he's, where, he's much more, I don't know, laissez-faire about things. I, I like his reaction at the end when, and again, spoiler, turns out the Falcon isn't real. Yeah. And, you know, Peter Lorre breaks down crying. Yeah. And he starts laughing. Yeah. And he, it's Sidney Greenstreet. I, yeah. Again, he's more a flavor than he is an actor in this in the movies that I've seen him. He basically plays Sidney Greenstreet. And it's fine because, again, for me, the, the chemistry between Bogart, Greenstreet, and Lorre... It's, it's almost like Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. It's this triumvirate, <laughs> and together they make this yeah. one amazing person. So Kinda. We get Ward Bond shortly. Yep, he, yeah, he's a police sergeant. <laughs> he, he's fun. You know, he yeah. does. He's Ward Bonding all over the place. He usually sure. does, except when he plays a bad guy. He's usually kind of the likable, somewhat lunk-headed, yeah. ba- good-hearted I mean, plot he plays, device. Wait, he's... Bert the cop in yes. It's a Wonderful Light, right? Yeah, he and plays Bert a Ernie. lot of cops. Yeah, which he doesn't have his mustache, but quite honestly, he's kind of made to play. He, he does. He does. He looks like a city cop. We have Elisha Cook Jr., yeah. uh, who you may know as Samuel Cogley from Star Trek or The Heel from an episode of The Odd Couple. Or you may and know th- him as the creepy little guy in The House on Haunted Hill. Or the creepy little guy in this movie. Yeah. And he is creepy. He's he is. ineffectual, the character is, <laughs> but his portrayal, he is creepy. He and is, but he's also kind of pathetic. He's trying to be a tough guy. He wants to be, and he's bad at it. Yeah. I mean, Bogart just you know, disarms him, what, two, three times? With his s- coat. <laughs> slaps him around whenever he feels yeah. like it. The kid is desperate to be respected or feared, and he just isn't. And what do you want? His first name is Wilmer. Yeah, uh, he, yeah. it just how how many badasses do you know named Wilmer? <laughs> um, none. <laughs> also, it still strikes me as odd. They keep referring to him, or Bogart keeps calling him a kid. He was. Do you know how old he was? He was thirty-eight when he made yes. this movie. <laughs> he was thirty-eight, <laughs> but he, he does young. Look, he doesn't look like a kid. No, but he looks young, and he does look small. Yeah, he's so, not physically imposing, but yes, but he I is like very the, intense. There's this, I'm yes. going to prove myself by God, even if I have to kill myself doing it. 
Well, and you can tell that the leash that Gutman has him on is very, very tight. And if he had his his way, he would have killed Bogart three times in this oh, film. Yeah. He kicks him in the face at one point when he's yep. down. So I, I think he does a great job. But of course, I've seen him in a number of other things, and I've, I think he's a pretty good, intense actor. But there is a big name I've left to last on purpose. Yes, and I know who that. I know exactly who you mean, and that was the district attorney played by John Hamilton, right? No. Did you recognize him? Yes, I did. Great Caesar's ghost. Yep, that was Perry White. He's in one scene, but I was like, who is that guy? He looks like, oh, oh. So that's who you met, right? No. Oh. I met Mary Astor. Oh, yes. Mary Astor is not an actor I know very much of. I don't know that I've seen her in many things. And I've seen this film before, but of course, when I watch it for the show, I tend to be a little bit more critical. So I was looking at her performance more than I usually would. And I got to say, and this may disappoint some people, I got to say, she is phenomenal. Oh my God, do I (laughs) love her in this film. It's really interesting. Her big thing, you don't see her in a lot because she was a major silent film star. She was one of a small number who really made the transition from silent to talkies. Yeah. Partly because, uh, well, first off, she is unbelievably good looking. And her parents knew this. I looked. Uh, they like pushed her into beauty contests, and they they basically figured <laughs> this is our meal ticket. Oh, great! Yeah. I adore her. She is the character. My one of my my notes is that she's just when she first starts the whole story that we paraphrased at the opening of the show. Yeah, or or should I say ruined? <laughs> <laughs> she, I noticed something really subtle. She does not make eye contact with Sam Spade, which is one of the ways you can uh. tell from the start if you're paying attention that she is lying cuz yeah. she is lying. And I actually have a talking point. I'm going to get to this talking point right now, which is do we ever believe her? Nope. Ever. Never. No. I assume er, I, she comes across, she really pulls off the whole compulsive liar thing. You get the yes. feeling it's not necessarily something she intends to do. It's she can't help herself. Mm. Every Her first instinct is to lie. And it's brought across very subtly. Sometimes not so much when she's fidgeting or walking around the room coming up with a story. But sometimes when just the way she suddenly shifts in her chair or mm-hmm. the way she'll like lift her chin. Or look away. Or look away. Yeah. She I I delighted in her. And I like I like Humphrey Bogart. I'll watch him in just about anything. Except maybe Treasure of Sierra Madre, because he's pretty unpleasant in that. That's a hard movie to watch. It's brilliant, but it is not fun. But watching her lead Humphrey along, and the thing is, is that Spade says, oh, yeah, we didn't believe you anyway. You know, when you foretold us the story, we didn't buy the whole thing. Yeah, I don't buy your story there, Sam. I think once Archer gets killed, you're like, okay, something's not in the up and up, and you're trying to ferret things out from her. But you can see him kind of believing some of her stuff and then catch himself go, oh, wait, wait a minute. She's lying. She's lying. And every time he catches her, she comes up with another story. And, okay, maybe Houston made her run around the office or whatever, but... I think she's delightful. I would never want to deal with this person, but the portrayal is so much fun. She is a, just a delight to watch. I take it you agree on that. Oh yeah, no, she is. She is terrific. She. De- I think her performance is probably uh, one of the most nuanced and the most layered in the movie. 
she may be the only nuanced and layered performance. I don't know. I think I think Bogart does some of it because again, yeah. with Spade, we can't always tell where he's going with stuff or what he's thinking. We don't always know what he's going to. In fact, we almost never really know what he's going to do. Yeah, um, it brings me to the writing. Yeah. Um, this is a this is like one of the most famous of Dashiell Hammett's books, if not the most famous. And as I said in the the trivia, this film is pretty much cleaving right to the page. There's a couple of things that are left out, but basically what's there is in the book. And I found things kind of janky. Like, it didn't flow. I thought the the actual and there's. <laughs> When we, we first get to Gutman, one of the points of having Gutman talk is so we know what the crap is going on. So, yes, Gutman shows up and says, hello, allow me to bring you a great pile of exposition, sir. <laughs> and initially he's like, no, I'm not going to tell you what the film's about. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I will tell you what the film's about. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very exposition-y, let's face it. Um, yeah, that's a big like exposition his, dump. Yeah, it is a big dump. I actually love the fact that Joel Cairo shows up and says, oh, do you have the bird? And thankfully Spade is smart enough to go, no, but I know I can get it. And then as soon as he's out of the room, he's like, what bird? What, what the, the hell world? bird is he talking about? What's <laughs> going on? I thought there was a sister. What's going on with this? <laughs> I actually do like the way that that's sort of thrown in and we all could sit there in the audience go, bird, huh? But parts of it feel... I don't know, just the way that things are gotten around. What, as you said, we don't know what Sam Spade's doing. So sometimes things are a little, just kind of like, I felt a little janky. Um, I, I, can't, yeah. no, it, I admit Just uneven. That, I, no, I get that. There are things just, things are thrown at you a lot. Hmm. And you have, they have to wait till they tie together. I kind of like that effect in this because it makes us feel, it makes me feel like we're sort of in, the, in Sam Spade's shoes. We don't know what's going on. No. He's having all this stuff thrown at him. He's having all these people appear out of nowhere. These <laughs> weird things happening, like oh wow, a boat caught fire. What? Yeah. And did I that, think that uh, did that particular scene evoke a scene from any other movies we've seen? Nearer, my God, to the Titanic. Oh, I was thinking actually, Usual Suspects. <laughs> oh, okay, that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for all, obviously, this came first. So. Yes. Yes. But yeah. yeah. Now, I, I do agree. There is something kind of uh, uneven and almost uh, scattered about the uh, the plot and about the writing. I think it works. I, I, I think it like draws us along with Sam Spade. Well, and one of the direct directorial tricks that Houston uses, I left the set of the trivia, is he often will shoot over Humphrey Bogart's shoulder so that we more feel that we're yeah. seeing this all from his perspective. Yeah, that follows. Okay. Yeah, Sam Spade, boy, is he sad when his partner dies. He's so sad that he quickly tells Effie, his secretary, to get <laughs> Archer's name off the window. And get his desk out of here. <laughs> wow. Cold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I gotta say, the way he uses people, I mean, Effie, the secretary, who is the classic blonde uh, detective secretary, yeah. He's like, okay, yeah, I want you to take uh, Miss O'Shaughnessy home with you to your mother. Is she in danger? Probably. <laughs> okay, so she's in danger. Take her home with you to your house with where you live with your mom in case the danger follows. Like, yeah. Wow, dude, that's harsh. Because, because everyone seems to know that Sam Spade is involved in this and his address, so yeah. <laughs>
And of and, course, you know, Sam's getting it from both sides because we've got people like Joel Cairo showing up and saying, give me the bird. And I don't give you the bird. <laughs> and then the cops show up saying, you killed your partner. He's like, what? Are you insane? Why would I do that? Yeah, we heard that you were stooping his wife. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That is all over town, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do kind of have a motive. I, I do have to say, you were talking about the, the thing that sort of bothers you with the janky plot. What bothers me is the police in this. Like, well, first of all, one of them punches him in the face for no because he just gets annoyed. Well, that seems realistic. Oh, <laughs> oh well, true. If it was, but this is San Francisco, not Los Angeles. Um, uh, they're like, okay, yeah, we think you killed your partner. Well, you're going to take me downtown? No. Uh, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, do you have any guns? Yeah, there are some in the office. Are you going to take them and examine them? No. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's very noir y. It's very noir, and it's very much the cops are usually either in noir films, the cops are usually either idiots or vastly corrupt. Well, luckily, they're both in this film. Well, I don't know. They don't seem corrupt. They don't get bribed yeah. or anything. But yeah, they're basically, ah, what should we do, Mr. Sam? Yeah, I mean, and this is one of Ward Bond's characters. He's with the. Uh, he's Tom, and yeah. he's... I don't know what his rank is, because he only refers I to his boss as a lieutenant, so... But I, I think know. he's a sergeant, I think. Probably. That, but yeah. Probably. <laughs> so, you know, they're just there to add extra pressure onto Sam Spade through all the, this whole thing. I will say that one of the things I do like about Mary Astor's character is she seems to be the themic center of the story. Oh. Everything she says is a lie. Well, as it turns out... Everything that everybody in the film knows about the bird is a lie. Yeah. Because even to the bird's finally, authenticity. Yeah. Right. They finally get it, and it's not a black enamel over solid gold and jewels. It is black enamel over lead. Yeah. And it has been chased for 17 years by Mr. Gutman, and he, after a moment of sweaty refusal to not or denial, refusing denying to refuse, doesn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> that thing. <laughs> He just goes, hmm, what's one more year? One more year. Let's go. Mm. And, and off I thought go. it was kind of cute that uh, Cairo, who is clearly a rival, he's like inviting him along. And Cairo's like, I'm going with you. <laughs> oh, it's like, we're going for a walk. We're going for a walk. Or, you know, <laughs> Chester's me hero because he's so brave and strong. Yeah. Well, of course, where do you want your rivals? And that's yeah. closest. So you can right. keep an eye on them. So, and you know, it, what we find out is that everybody was working with somebody at some point and they aren't anymore. They're trying to go at it for themselves and everyone's yeah. trying to double cross everybody else. And there's Sam Spade not knowing what the heck the bird even is, even though it turns out he's the one who gets it because yeah. somehow I get, and I forgot about this, but apparently Mary Astor or Bridget O'Shaughnessy manages to meet the captain and he's going to give her the bird, but. It was who's oh Wilmer shows up, yeah. shoots him. He escapes with two bullets in him and somehow knows to go to Spam Spade's office. Basically, go your your message, sir. Clump die. Well, she apparently told him to do that. Yeah, which because she figured know. she had Sam wrapped around her little finger. I assume, and this is one of the things. Again, it's kind of nice they don't spoon feed it to you. Mm. The ship is out of Hong Kong. Right, And we know she's been to Hong Kong because he's looking mm -hmm. at the labels of her clothing and sees yep. that. Yeah. So there's one point that she might actually have been telling part of the truth, but it was I'm sure it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
There's a few quotes in here I found particularly fun. I mean, the, the, the main one, everyone knows the stuff that dreams are made of. Okay, Or, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but there's one in here that from Gutman, when they're basically deciding, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed a story to the cops? And Sam Spade says, oh, I know, we'll just give him Wilmer. <laughs> and of course, William's, Wilmer's not too thrilled about that. And no, I can't do it. He's like a son to me. Mm, yes. Mm. And then, of course, there's a fight and Wilmer gets knocked out and... Sam Spade basically says, look, what else are we going to do? And he comes back with, hmm, if you lose a son, it's always possible to get another. <laughs> <laughs> but there is only one Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Which is, by the way, the only time anyone yeah. in the movie says the phrase Maltese Falcon. It's either the falcon, the bird, the blackbird. Right. And apparently that's true in the book, too. It's like uh. 400 pages in that they actually call it by name. Uh, there's also <laughs> a line from Bridget O'Shaughnessy and... <laughs> Her line is, I've always been a liar. Oh boy, have you. And yeah. you continue to be through the film. The way that this is shot, uh, I think there's some lovely high contrast shots in this film. It pretty much, except for a couple of scenes, take pl takes place at night, as all good noir films should. Yep, yep. I don't think they're as good as those in The Third Man, but I still think they're pretty good. And for a first-time director, there's some stuff Houston's trying, which is not just your regular bread and butter directing. I think he, he's actually yeah. trying to express some stuff in ways that we haven't seen that often. So good for him for taking some chances. And of course he will go on to direct, Oh, another movie here and there. I'm oh sure. yeah. One or two, nothing major, but really yeah, no, that's he's true. He, best they, known for being a triangle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Telling you it's Gandalf. Uh, but I, he, yeah. They don't play with shadows as much as third man does. They don't play no. with the contrast as much, but uh, there are some terrific shots and the cinematography considering, you know, it's a guy literally with a camera on a dolly yeah. is pretty impressive. Are there any shots that you have in particular that you liked? I like the shot of Archer down in the pit after he's been shot and mm -hmm. Sam's looking down at him. And there's a cop next to him. There's a, there's a sense of, oh, he has fallen, you know, literally, he is literally the fallen soldier. Yeah. There's one where... Sam Spade and Bridget O'Shaughnessy are um, potentially about to get it on, and the camera goes over her head and out the window, and we look down on Wilmer, who's watching from outside. Yeah. That's a really cool That's shot. That's a nice shot. There's uh, also very early in the film, there's a shot just of the floor where you see the name Spade and Archer as a shadow on yeah. the floor. And then later, they, and it's, this, it, it's almost tombstone-y, but later on, of course, we'll see the same thing, but it just says Sam Spade. Yeah. The line I like, and it's, uh, I think, a really interesting, it's part of a, one of the more interesting scenes to me, is at the very end, when yeah. Bridget O'Shaughnessy is trying to get, you know, Sam basically, don't turn me in. When he's figured out she was the one who killed his partner. Right. And the greatest crime that she has committed to him is, I won't play the sap for you. She's trying to make him the sap. Right. And he he cannot stand that. And as he says, you know, I don't know if you'll understand this, but when a man's partner is killed, you're supposed to do something about it. Mm. Like, that's it. This guy is not on some crusade for justice or truth or honor. It's like, you killed my partner, and I'm a detective, and what you're, a detective is supposed to do if you kill his partner, you're supposed to do something. Like, that's the best he can do. Well, I, I think I, that is that tiny bit of honor that Sam Spade yeah, has. Yeah, but that's all, that's it. It's a tiny, 
flicker in there somewhere. Because it's pretty clear Sam is out for Sam. Yeah. And he kind of has to be. Yeah. At least in no one that. else is. Yeah. What would, would you say that there is any love of any kind between them? Or is there more just sort of desperation and potential lust? I'm sorry if this sounds, you know, cliche, but I don't think these two know what love really is. I think mm. either of them does because, you know, first off, Sam doesn't trust anybody, and you can't love someone without trusting them, and she is a pathological liar. So, But I think there's a connection, but I think it's more out of need or a sort mm. of wish for connection. It's something they want to be able to have, but neither of them can. What about uh, Spade's connection with Effie? Because that's a really interesting... Oh, Effie, the secretary? Not yeah. Iva, the wife? Okay, yeah. yeah. Not Iva so much. I mean, Iva is, is obvious. It's like, yeah, I slept with her once. That was a big mistake. You yeah. know, and, uh, you know. And but she, Effie, yeah. Yeah. he trusts her. He relies on her. There's never Whenever he asks her to do something, there's never a question in his voice that there's she's not going to do what he needs her to do. And he even asks her at one point, he's like, yeah, what do you think about her? And he's asking about Bridget O'Shaughnessy, yeah. and she gives an opinion, and it looks like he actually says, oh, well, she if she's with her, she's on her side, yeah, okay, I'll go with her, and then regrets that. But Yeah, to know. a degree, but Effie seems way more like, Effie doesn't seem to be a person. She is mm -hmm. a prop. She is some a, a device for him to use. A gal Friday. A gal Friday, and she doesn't have a lot of personality, she doesn't have... We don't know anything about her. We don't know her last name. No. I think it's in the credits, but I don't think uh, we actually know. I think her name is Miss Skeffington. Skeffington? Yeah. Okay. You don't remember that from Murder by Death? I Oh, no. I, <laughs> Sam right. Diamond? Oh, that's right. Miss right. Yeah. Effie Skeffington. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, so it's it, kind of too bad because I think yeah. that there could have been something fleshed out there. I don't know that it would have necessarily added to the film, but there's obviously something that's meant to be there or was there and isn't any longer, and they've Maybe. both gotten over it. I don't know. Maybe. I just got the feeling she's one of the only women, I think she's the only woman in the movie, there are only three, who yeah. likes him. Yeah. You know? not, not like, you know, Effie is clearly, she has some dependence on him, and O'Shaughnessy is using him. Effie just likes him. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's because he treats her like an, more or less like an equal. I mean, he's, yes, he, he, she's his secretary, but when he asks for an opinion, he asks her. And he pays attention. Yeah, maybe. And it's obvious he doesn't like Archer very much. No. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't, what do you think of Archer? I mean, what do we know she's about him? I mean, he's, he's in two scenes. I, and the thing is, is that, you know, we can't feel anything for his death because all we see him do is swoop in and... You know, he just about starts smacking his foot in the ground and going, oh, God, oh, God, oh. <laughs> Does a Tex Avery Wolf thing. And yeah. we know he's married, so. Yeah, and he's like, he shows up and he basically swoops in and takes over the tailing job because he thinks he's going to get some tails. But, mm. You saw her first, but I spoke first. <laughs> and, and Sam Spade's like, yeah, but I got the 200 bucks, so go ahead and do whatever you want. Yeah. And we can also tell how broken up Sam is once Archer is dead. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, there's nothing to think about. Yeah. I don't, there's, 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 there's no, there. there's no, there's no there there. Archer no. is, Archer is a plot device. Yeah. He's just something to get the story moving. Yeah. I do. The, the scene where uh, Bridget is, is basically when she's being berated by Spade and she basically con, uh, confesses 
that she did kill Archer. I swear it's like a scene with a Martin Short character. You killed my partner. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I know that. Why do you think I wouldn't <laughs> so, know that? It's so funny you think I wouldn't know that. Because <laughs> she's like that. She totally yeah. is. It's like you'll back into her corner and she'll admit it, but then she'll just make up something else. So. She'll lie, sees you don't believe it, then go, all right, I'll come up with something better. <laughs> yeah. So it works out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have uh, that uh, question that was, this is kind of dumb, but I think it's necessary. This is our, our uh, talking point question for this series. Um, would this movie <laughs> would this movie have been better in color? Now, I don't know about you. I can actually answer that because I saw it in color. Oh. Yes. It was one you of those. You remember it? the dark times when Ted Turner, Tui, <laughs> Decided, Mr. Fonda? Yeah. You know, you know what? Y'all know what would make movies better if we took the old black and white ones and made them colorized by putting like filters or something on them that look really stupid. That is my flawless impression of Ted Turner. Exactly what he sounds like. Wow. Uh, sure. uh, yeah, Would you so, like some ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he colorized. You know, Turner, Turner Classic Movies or the, whatever company he... Whichever one of his umpteen companies owned them owned the rights to Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, a ton of classic black and whites, and he said, "Let's colorize them." And I actually saw part of the Maltese Falcon colorized. I didn't watch all of it because it hurt me. <laughs> My eyes were bleeding. By the way, what color is the Maltese Falcon? They tell us it's black. It's covered in black enamel. In the movie, it is dark green. Yes. Ah. Dark green, the color, color of lead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the color of money, something like that. Well, PB, it's a uh, a shortening of a Latin word that means green. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm sure, that's what it is. Yeah, that must be it. No, yeah, this this movie, in fact, suffers being in color. It is. Well, it does not work. To be fair, you were watching a poorly tinted version of a black and white film. What about actually shooting this in color? Would that have done anything? for what's going on. No, I don't think so. I think it would have distracted, if anything else. Yeah. The, the whole thing of the backgrounds and the settings, they aren't important. It's the people. And yeah. again, it's the whole thing, the, fa- the black and white, and the idea that nothing in this movie actually is black and white, including the truth. Yeah. What truth? You can't handle the bird. Truth. Bird. I meant truth. <laughs> the true bird. I, yeah, the bird I of truth. Yeah. No, I, I, what do you think? I, it's, they call it noir for a reason, right? Yeah. That's half of black and white. The whole point is to make something very stark. Not necessarily realistic, shall we say, but something very stark. And the best way to do that is to cut out, even visually, as many shades of gray as possible. Leave that to the plot, or leave that to the characters. Let them stand out because they're not... And I think a lot of times in noir... Even though it seems like the characters are black and white, they really aren't. And Sam Spade isn't. He is not all bad. No. He's not definitely not all good either. No, he's a mix. And I think that that's the point. Like like you just said, let's not distract the audience with the setting that's lots of colors or lots of shades of gray. Or, you know, there's I often the only weather you get in noir anything is rain. Yeah. You don't get snow. You don't get. I don't know, a tornado or a hurricane or yep. a Godzilla. <laughs> but you tend to get just whatever it is that can like just just be at a tiny little bit of pinch of salt and nothing more. Yeah. 
And so I, yeah, I agree. This film, I don't think would have been any better and would have been potentially a good deal worse having been originally shot in color or by taking digital watercolor and smearing it over a copy of the film as was done by Mr. Turner. Uh, I'm pretty much at the end of my notes. What do you got left, Max? I think that's most of it. I, I, it is interesting that we find out pretty early on there are like three murders. Yes. And the one, Archer, the first one, is the one that takes the longest for us to find out who done it. We assume stuff. We assume, well, probably Wilmer. Wilmer's been killing everybody. Who's the third one? Uh, the captain of the La Paloma. That's the second one. Who's the third one? Oh, the, th- the third one, sorry, the first one was, what's his name? The guy he was supposed to be tailing. Oh, Thursby, right, Thursby, right. Floyd yeah. Thursby. Thursby <laughs> dies, right. Archer Thursby. dies. Because we never cap- see him. <laughs> no, we never do. We, not even in shadow or from behind. He exists entirely off screen. Yeah. Did that, was that a problem for you? No. You know yeah. why? Because it turns out the whole thing was just another misdirection anyway. Yeah, so having, he doesn't matter. Having a, having a character even as fleshed out, if you want to use that term, as, yeah. as Archer wouldn't have added to the script. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think that helps us, actually, is not as to know that he was inconsequential, murdered or not. It's like, he really just, no. <laughs> yep, he was just a cipher. He was just another chump for O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Well, here's a question. Yeah? Assuming all three, well, she can't, she's going to prison, more likely than not. Actually, all three of them are going to prison, because yeah. if we believe that little telephone call, Dan, yeah, this is Sam Spade, arrest all these people, they did it. Why? Because I said so, thanks, yeah, goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, evidence, proof, well. Yeah, I've got all these guns here with my fingerprints all over them, here, have them. Because <laughs> yeah. he does. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's let's pretend for a minute that everyone gets away just for okay. fun. All right. And somebody eventually ends up with the bird if there is one. Who do you see as being the one who gets the bird? <laughs> who, who gets given the bird? Uh, Who's the honestly? Last I think Gutman would. He's. I think he's the shrewdest. O'Shaughnessy, you know, O'Shaughnessy would manipulate, but people would turn against her. She. Do, I think she would eventually lose herself in her own lies and. Uh, Cairo's just too ineffectual. Hmm. He's not yeah. str- he's not strong enough. Now, I don't mean physically, but his character isn't strong enough. He can't do what has to be done. I think Gutman is the shrewd one. He's the one who keeps almost finding it. I didn't think, though, anyone ever would find it. I think the idea is it's something that would just be chased. Right. If I had to pick anybody, I'd actually probably pick O'Shaughnessy. And I think that even if she isn't couldn't go directly against... Gutman, she has proven that she is more than capable of finding somebody who can. Yeah, <laughs> and she's convincing them that blink, blink, bat, bat, that they should be on her side and help her get the bird. Yeah. So that was just a, a weird little yeah, question because they're idea. all going to jail. And yep. do you think, uh, actually, another question, do you yeah. think uh, Spade actually will be there in 20 years when she gets out? I don't think so. I think he was just no. saying that. I think he'll be dead. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, we should get to that part where we decide if this film holds up after we've done all this talking. Yep. The finish. So, Max. Yo. You've seen this film many times, I'm sure. I have, several times. And do you well, do you like the film, Max? I'm not even going to bother initial Come impressions. On. None of us can remember. Yeah. I don't remember the, the first time I saw it, how, how I felt. But, uh, yeah, I really like this film. I think this is... A great example of film noir. It's a great example of black and white. It's a great example of Humphrey Bogart. It's a great example of that triumvirate you said. Yeah, I think this movie's terrific. 
What about you? I watched this, as I said, only a few years ago. And the only major thing I have against this film, major thing, is when I was done, I wanted more like this. Yeah. And there are other noir films, but they're not like this. No, no they aren't. But you know, there's some good ones. There are a lot of good sure. ones, but they aren't the same thing. No. no. I think that the plot could use an iron. There's places <laughs> where it's kind of wrinkly and is a little janky and doesn't quite flow. I mean, <laughs> Mr. Exposition or, or Mr. Gutman, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> he, yes, I'm here to explain the film. <laughs> and that's what he does. He literally stands there for a few minutes and explains the only reason we should care about this thing that we didn't even hear about until Peter Lorre shows up. But that's fine, because I actually do like the fact that Sam Spade is shown to not only be thrown into something that's way bigger than he thought it was, but how he is able to deal with it on the spur of the moment, like you said, by lying. There's a lot of lying in this film. I think that it's a product of its time. I think you oh, can't yeah. take it out of its time. It is, quite honestly, very soft as com opposed to the way we would film this kind of things today. In the language, in the sexuality of it. Because uh -huh. um, I think the most we see ever... Nope, we don't even see Sam Spade in his undershirt. Like, nope. there is just no anything nope. in this film. There are a few torrid kisses, and that's about it. We, yeah. So stuff is implied, but... Well, actually, I didn't ask this. What do you think about the chemistry between Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor? I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I was willing to, willing to believe it. I didn't believe Sam Spade would be interested in her. I think he would never have trusted her. And see, I found their chemistry to be troublesome, but I don't know that that's a bad thing because we're not, I think, supposed to think that they would ever get together or if yeah. they did, it would ever really work. Yeah, it, basically they'd spend a torrid weekend together and that would probably be it. Where I feel the best chemistry in the film is Bogart, Green Street, and Laurie. <laughs> yeah. Those three work together like a machine. They're just, I don't know, watching them together in, and the two big films are this and Casablanca and they work amazingly well together, although Laurie doesn't really deal with Green Street at all in no. Casablanca. No, they're not but, in the same scenes. Uh, just, I don't know. They're just, you don't get that kind of thing often when you've got this small group of people that work together so well, and I think that they work together really well. Yeah, I agree. So, if you have not actually seen The Maltese Falcon... All of it. I bet a lot of you have seen pieces of it on TV. Or think you've seen it. I think it's worth... Oh, look, it's not very long. It's like an hour 40. Yeah. It's paced pretty well. So I don't think you're going to be particularly bored. Again, it's the 40s. So things are going to feel a little, I don't know. Very hunky. dated. Very yeah. dated. But that's the way it goes. It's a fun movie. It's a great opening film by a first-time director. Houston would prove himself later on. Again, watch him in Bermuda Triangle, because that's his <laughs> best role. Don't. <laughs> Uh, but we have that uh, poll question. Yes, we do. Tell us probably. again. Yeah, so we would like to know who is your favorite screen detective? Could be live action, animated. Just want to know who you think solves crimes the best. And you can let us know by going to Facebook, the only social media we are on right now, and finding us under Max Mike Movies. Leave a comment. We will post a question on, uh, actually, we will have posted over the weekend and when this comes out. You can email us directly, gets you extra bumpy bucks, and we yep. all know what those are worth. Mail us at us at maxmikemovies.com, which implies, and it's true, we have a website, which is 
MaxMikeMovies.com. All our episodes are there. You can leave comments. You can say, hey, you guys are totally wrong about that thing. You guys are totally right about that thing. Or, hey, you guys should be doing this. In which case, we will listen to your comments and potentially make up a whole series based on your, your suggestions. Yep. And you can find us on pretty much, if there's a podcast app, we're pretty much on it. We don't even know anymore, but yeah, these are, of course, yeah. Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. and Amazon, yep, all of Amazon, them. Amazon, millions of others. But Max, yes, we are still going through life with black and white blinders on. Yep, yep, we are. It's what? tough to see. It is tough to see. <laughs> I'm glad you picked that up. Yep. Ooh, that's a deeper. And that is a deeper. One. Yeah, um, Alice, I mean, Max, yeah. tell us. <laughs> Kiss my grits. Um, <laughs> I uh, don't have a taste for your grits, Matt. Yeah, no yeah. offense. But where are we going to aim our peepers next week? Well, we're moving up a little to the more recent era, like 2019. We are going to check out uh, a nice, lighthearted co- uh, show, uh, movie, with those two bubbly, zany comedians, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, in <laughs> oh, The dear. Lighthouse. Tom Stewart killed me. <laughs> Not that lighthouse. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the lighthouse, huh? The lighthouse. Yeah, not Willem exactly Defoe cheery, but a... yeah, Willem Dafoe, Robert Pattinson. This was only are, are only. Lovers? <laughs> I don't know. They could be. I'm sure they would make an adorable couple. The lighthouse is usually a warning, so uh, take this warning from yeah. us and <laughs> tune in next week yes. to hear us talk about the lighthouse. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.